0: Jesus is the archetypal person that we can look to. Paul says, have this attitude, have his attitude. You know, attitudes are so powerful. And you know, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com. Search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or... Mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey everyone, it's Matt Hook, the Shepherd of the Shepherd and the Shrink, and I get to do a solo podcast today. Uh, Marty is doing well, but we just missed each other on our schedules and wanted just to thank you for all your support. And uh, prayers that are coming and good wishes. And for those of you that can be a part of our Patreon group, that is a great way to support this podcast and to help get the word out to other people. We love it when you share, when you like, and when you do the five star thing. And believe me, it really makes a difference, especially letting other people know about it. You know, Marty and I had our first opportunity last month two months ago to do a professional day for a very large company here in michigan and one of the things that was really cool and this is partly thanks to your support we were on a zoom call with 60 managers of a company who occasionally take a friday and have some training or teaching or equipping for the morning and we did a three-hour session with this group this very large company. And it was really cool. Several of the people in the feedback the HR director received said, this was the best thing that we've been to in seven years. And um, part of the reason we're able to keep going is for those of you who are Patreon supporters of this operation. And I just want to thank you specifically for that. The, The help is coming for people in need. And, uh, As we get started today, I just wanted to ask you a funny question, and I think this could be maybe some traction for you in your life, and it has to do with how's your attitude? You know, I was playing volleyball in the church league. It's not really a league, but on Thursday nights, and it's good competition, but nobody's a jerk, and I get pretty frustrated at myself, and one of my daughters was playing, and Jillian said, Dad, You need to chill out. I wasn't mad at anybody else. I was mad at myself. And all of a sudden, it made me see myself through someone else's eyes. And it made me realize that my attitude was impacting her. And she's fine with me and knows me. But I think she was watching how my attitude was impacting some of the other people that were there that night playing volleyball. And that hit me hard. I don't know if you've ever realized yourself when you need maybe to check yourself. There's a great man in our church named Carl. And he said to me one time, several years ago, he's been married 55 years to Jane. And he said, you know, sometimes whenever I'm frustrated with Jane, I ask myself, imagine being Jane, having to be married to me. I love that. It really made me laugh, but it also really shone the mirror for me. You know, I think so many of the challenges that we try to address here on The Shepherd and the Shrink have to do not with everything out there that we feel is coming at us, but maybe something deep down in us. Because you know what? That's really the only thing that we can do. Scripture, from a Christian worldview, says practice self-control. Nowhere in the Bible does it say practice others' control. The only thing we really can control is about as far as we can reach. And so I just want to uh, dive into that a little bit. And one of the biggest influences, I think, is attitude. I heard once uh, an inner city preacher, and she said, attitudes are contagious. Church is yours worth catching. So I want to dive into that. It's going to be a part Bible study and part leadership, part reflection. And the Bible part is going to be from Philippians, a small New Testament book that was actually a letter written to the Christ followers in Philippi, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. You know, every so often, something big happens, and it makes me reflect on my attitude. About 19 years ago, I went into this prestigious program at Asbury Seminary for my doctorate. There were world-renowned speakers being brought in left and right. There were these large teaching conferences at large churches you might have heard at, like Saddleback or Willow Creek or North Point or Vineyard. And we we got to interview amazing leaders like Haddon Robinson, Calvin Miller, Andy Stanley, John Maxwell, and more. But I think... One of the most defining moments for me in that year was the first morning, and it was at a hotel banquet hall in Orange County, California, the first day of the program, and it set a tone for that year when 20 of us were in this prestigious doctoral program. We were all introducing ourselves and telling the exciting things that we'd been a part of in ministries planting churches new worship services and all this kind of stuff and about two-thirds the way through the 20 of us sharing the all these leaders who had done some pretty big stuff a man named chris carter from the deep south put it this way and he looked at everybody and he said fellas i'm in high cotton fellas i'm in high cotton he said that right off the bat before he shared some of his church experience or whatever, his attitude was so full of humility. In other words, he's saying, I don't even deserve to be here. And that's the truth really for all of us in that program. His outlook was grateful and it was bewildered. Kind of a cool way to go through life And as you think about it. And it changed the year entirely. Instead of everybody kind of grandstanding and showing our trophies, here's what happened. We began serving one another. We began serving the younger seminary students, coming alongside them, mentoring them. We began serving the faculty whenever we could. And here's what it took. It took the meekest, quietest guy in the program. And really, he was the true leader. He set the tone for the entire year. And it truly was a defining moment for me personally and for that entire year. You know, in the Bible, in uh, the New Testament was written in the first century A.D., And several letters came from the Apostle Paul, born Saul, but his Roman name was Paul. And he writes one of the earliest, what a lot of scholars believe is a hymn, like a song in Christianity. And it begins this way, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of people. After being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hmm. You know, as we look at, at what is the center of good teaching, the center of, you could say, Christian faith, the one that we worship, that people around the world really admire, whether they're Christians or not, the teachings, at least, of Jesus. We worship, we are focused on this one man who did nothing but go down in order to serve. And if you think about it, that is so countercultural to today, because what we do today is we focus on upward mobility, like we all want Upward mobility, right? For good reasons, for good causes. But it really gets you thinking when we're aiming at upward mobility. Those of us who are have a Christian worldview, Christ followers, the one who is the center of our faith, and you could even say the center of our beings for some of us, (laughs) he practiced nothing but downward mobility. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on the cross. And so Paul says this, and I think it relates to this year and to this culture where we are today, our society. He writes, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Boy, that jumps out at me. What does it look like to empty yourself? And could you hold that up for a goal sometime in the next three days? I'm just going to empty myself. Paul writes, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of a man. So Paul names the height from which Jesus originally came, equal with God, one with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, sustainer. You know, We can't even comprehend that. When you don't get how high something is, you can't measure how steep the angle down is. The spiritual height of Jesus in this way is higher, and the depth that he descended is lower than any point that you've ever been, than I've ever been. Death on a torture instrument, abandoned by everybody. It wasn't just like a descent, like he was on a snowboard, but it was humiliation and death. Descent like he's in a free fall. And then Paul says "Christ." Did this, though he was infinitely rich for our sakes, he became poor that we through him might be rich, but not just descend humiliation. And Paul says that is the attitude where we find life. Paul says, have this attitude which was in Christ. Even if you're not so sure about all that Christianity espouses about who Jesus is, Jesus is the archetypal person that we can look to. Paul says, have this attitude, have his attitude. You know, attitudes are so powerful. Dollars spent to influence your attitude and mine are in the billions every year. Most of it is aimed at youth. Most of it is designed to be invisible. So we don't know how we're being affected, how our attitude is subtly shifting. And you know, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. There's a great quote by Chuck Swindoll. You've probably heard it. He says this, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. Let me repeat that quote. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me, 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. And Chuck Swindoll says this, we are in charge of our attitudes. That is within our boundaries. Classic Zig Ziglar said this, positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. Positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. Maxie Dunham, one of my heroes, says this, people who believe they can and people who believe they can't are usually both right. That's how powerful attitude is. That's how powerful your attitude is. Kind of funny, I would remind my kids Paul also wrote a few verses after this in Philippians 2:14, do everything without complaining or arguing. It's very small, but it does powerful and terrible things for your relationships. If we could do everything without complaining or arguing. You know, entire churches have thrived or died because they have not remembered that attitudes are that powerful. Not only are attitudes powerful, they're contagious. About 40 years ago, there was a woman at the time, she was 55 years old, she was traveling by train from Detroit to Chicago, and just west of Kalamazoo, Michigan, this train broke down. The passengers began to get heated at this delay, and when they found out it would be several hours before another train could be there to pick them up and deliver them the rest of the way to Chicago, it got ugly and tempers flared. And it was getting really ugly, even vile. But then this woman, this 55-year-old woman who was traveling by herself and who was knitting in her lap the whole time, began to sing. I've been working on the railroad all the live long day. (laughs) Within moments, everybody in the entire car joined in. And in her train car, the attitude immediately shifted. And it was transforming the people along with it. That woman's name is Joanne Hook, my mom. Herm Albright said this, positive attitudes may not solve all your problems, but it will annoy enough people to make it worth the effort. (laughs) I love that. Is your attitude worth catching? It's contagious. We talk a lot about contagious. Is ours worth catching? Is the way that we do business catchy? Is the way that we interact with our neighbors catchy? For Christians, is the way we worship God contagious? How about our moods? How about our actions? Is the way that we love and we care for the world different enough to be winsome and contagious? Here's the thing about attitude when it's focused in this way, like Paul writes to the Christ followers in Philippi. Christian attitude leads to serving that kind of scares us off a little, doesn't it? You know, it took me a long time to learn how to serve. And because I was afraid to serve in a way so as to stick out, I missed out. How can my not serving make me miss out on God? Because God loves to serve. God literally threw in the towel. The last night Jesus had with his disciples before he was arrested, Jesus tied a towel around his waist and began washing the disciples' feet. This was the job of the lowest servant, in the household in first century Palestine. It was a sign of hospitality. It was a sign of humility. I don't know if you've ever participated in washing someone else's feet. It's awful. It's embarrassing. It literally stinks. And that's what Jesus did for us, for his leaders, for all people. But here's the key. This wasn't an extraordinary act for God. It was simply right in line with who he is. Jesus Christ was a servant. He was doing nothing more than expressing the serving heart of God. You know, it sounds so bizarre to our ears to say that God, the creator of the universe, is a servant. But I think that's only because our value systems are so corrupted and so distorted. We value not serving. We value being served. We feel comfortable attributing to God those things that we aspire to be. To describe God as all-powerful makes Him only what we want more of. To describe God as all-knowing, again, reinforces what we value. To describe God as all-present is not only comforting, but it even affirms our personal value for control. If we want God to be all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, how many of us would choose to let servanthood be the ultimate expression of all that potential? Isn't the whole point of being God to be served? It would be for us, but it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus said we would be known by our love. But the greatest expression of love is when we lay down our lives for someone else. He literally said that. Greater love has no one than this, that he or she lay down their life for their friends. Until then, it's called, until until God calls you to lay down your life for somebody, we call it servanthood. Another thing about humility, when we look at this idea, is that Christ's humility shows us that God is not vague. (laughs) You know, aren't you tired of following Jesus in a vague way? I want to get specific. Does God still call people to empty themselves like that? Yes. In my branch of Christianity, which has been the United Methodist Church, over 1 million children are fed every day. Every day. We don't brag about it, though, so people don't even notice. You know, other things I've witnessed through the years. I I know a lonely man, a lonely young man whose life was changed when he began giving himself to help out with the youth ministry. I know parents whose main job used to be getting food on the table and getting kids to sporting events whose lives were changed. They emptied themselves so that now they have conversations with their kids. They teach their kids about what it means to follow Christ. They impact other people's lives. You think that wouldn't impact our schools? so many people have found joy they have found fellowship within the last month by serving at organizations local organizations around here it's faith in action it's alpha house it's cast community it's even activities within our church like the rummage sale coming up this week people love to empty themselves and in that they find joy they find fellowship they find meaning they find purpose they find traction for their lives You know, a number of people who joined a Bible study for the first time this year have emptied themselves of resentment. Because if God really is the center of the universe, and I'm not, it changes everything. I know people whose lives were changed so much so that they paid off their debt, and they are now generous in helping other people. Because their attitude of emptying themselves literally realized, okay, I can empty myself enough to figure this out. I know people who gave up other addictions, and they're now at a much greater level of peace. I've seen it happen in our own family. People who hadn't thought of themselves as leaders when they empty themselves and forget about themselves, they became leaders. Around here, it was in a Bible study because other people needed Christian connection. Around here, it was something called divorce care because that is such an awful time and people who hadn't thought of themselves as leaders suddenly stepped into that leadership role. Another group called Grief Share, and people emptied themselves so that they could serve once a week, whether it was children, youth, or adults going through a time of loss. Why do these attitudes make such a difference? And if we could get this right, think of the traction we could have for moving forward in our lives. The Apostle Paul wanted the people in Philippi to live their lives fully. To do this, he takes them to the cross. Whether you believe in the literal cross or whether you believe figuratively the emptying of yourself, I believe that there is a cure for every spiritual disease in the cross. I also believe that there's traction for your life to be well, to do good, to find strength and to make a difference in the world. But I would also say there's something about the person of Jesus Christ. I would say as the pastor from my worldview, we can never go to him too often. He is never a dry well. He always has something for me. I can speak from that personally. The problem is we don't think enough of him. We're poor because we don't go to the riches that are any one of ours in the cross. In Christ. How many people are feeling sad, anxious, lonely, constantly holding on to bitterness or frustration because they don't know this message and they've allowed it to impact their attitude, which of course impacts every iota of their life? We put it this way at our church if you love people, the best thing you could do would be to take people to Christ. Since you can't always bring people to your spiritual home, you must carry him with you. As I wrap up, I just want to offer a challenge and an idea this week. This week, starting today, practice what I call the first 15. The first 15 is this. The first 15 minutes of your day. Meet with God before you meet with Facebook, before you meet with Snapchat, or before you meet with tv or instagram or email or tiktok the first 15 let that chart our course i want to close with the full quote from chuck swindoll the longer i live the more i realize the impact of attitude on life attitude to me is more important than facts it is more important than the past than education than money than circumstances attitude is more important than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. Your attitude is more important than appearance or giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company or a church or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We can't change the fact that people are going to act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that's our attitude. And that's when he says, I'm convinced life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We're in charge of our attitudes. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you that that you have given us a tool, you've given us encouragement, you've given us an opportunity to change our lives. You've given us an opportunity, a moment in which we can uh, find traction in what we want to do and where we are heading, and it all has to do with our attitude. Lord, we tend to think of our attitudes as invisible, just something inside, but they, they leak all over us, all over other parts of our lives, all over the people around us. So I pray, God, for our attitudes. I pray that we would guard our hearts. And I pray that we would have the attitude which was in Christ Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, gave up everything in order to become a, a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. And it ends by saying, and because of that, God has raised him from the dead and put him in the highest of high places so that every tongue on earth and above the earth and under the earth, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he's Lord. Boy, if that doesn't change a thing or two. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more just go to patreon.com and search for the shepherd and the shrink podcast you can get involved for as little as one dollar a month thanks for listening to the shepherd and the shrink podcast you can check out the show notes from this episode get free resources discover more about our work and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show head over to DrMartinFletcher.com.